This year's donations might go to, say, the geology department. Oh, dear, not the dirt people. Geology is the study of pressure and time. That's all it takes, really. What kind of activity has turned the lake massive? Look, I'm just a geologist. I like rocks. I love rocks. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Geology Flannel Cast. My name is Steve. Hey, everybody. This is Chris. And uh, I am Jesse. I am a normal human. (laughs) Uh, For those of you who are not Patreons, uh, we just did the intro like four times because (laughs) Jesse was supposed to start it, but I started it. So then we restarted it, and then it was too much pressure for Jesse. Really? (laughs) I'm not ready for prime time here, let's be honest. (laughs) Well, Uh, welcome, everybody, to the premier geology podcast out there in the internets. How's everyone doing today? Hope everyone's having a great day. It's April 14th, 2021, and uh, things couldn't be better. Uh I mean, yeah, <laughs> I'm not sure. going to lie, Chris, things could be better, but, uh, you know, I think we're all doing well here. Yeah, it was uh, today was kind of a, it was like a, I mean, you're down, you're down South. I feel like you're in like, the season is perfect weather for you down there. Like it's not quite hot yet. It's nice. Wow. It was like 84 today. It was like dreary today. I'm not going to lie. 84 sounds hot. It does sound hot. I don't like it. Yeah. The other day I walked out of, I, I walked out of the building and it was, uh, I think it was pushing like 78 and I was like, Nope, this is too much. Yeah. <laughs> too much. Exactly. Yeah. I, I was, uh, I had the sun at my back yesterday and I was like, it's hot. <laughs> it's hot on my back. It's too early for this. Yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm wearing pants. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, we could go back in time 300 million years ago to where North America might have been in a different location and it was even hotter. Yeah, which is true. Leads me to my next point. (laughs) Uh, Today's episode is all about Alfred Wegener. And Alfred Wegener had some really groundbreaking ideas. Well, actually, we'll talk about some of the stuff that he had back in the 1920s. Uh, close personal friend of the podcast, according to Jesse. Yeah. And uh, yeah, talk about uh, the trials and tribulations of Alfred Wegener. Right? <laughs> I like that. I, <laughs> I do just want to hop on here and say, <clears throat> you said 300 million years ago would be hotter. It would not. We were in the midst of a glaciation. Oh, okay. You, okay. you had four and a half billion oh, okay. years to pick from. I know. Right? <laughs> I, I, it's a, the, the glacial. You picked the cold time. <laughs> All right. Um, oh. Yeah. So uh, Alfred Wagner, it was uh, it was an unusually warm day, November 1, 1880 in Berlin, when baby boy Alfred Wagner was born. Uh I like the way I, you're starting this. Yeah. I think we should start all Paint, painting the picture there. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's almost as good as the debtor's prison episode with William Stratus Smith. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, he, he was born in his family's home in Berlin, uh, North Berlin. I'm making all this up, uh, but he was born, born in Berlin in 1880. I have no idea what the temperature was or whether or not he was born in his house. I'm assuming in 1880, most people were, um, <clears throat> But yes, yeah, so he was he was German, born in Berlin in eighteen eighty in eighteen eighty. Um, grew up, received his 
doctorate in astronomy in 1905. So he was 25. Huh. I didn't realize astronomy. Right? Yeah. Uh, was- I'm, I'm guessing back then there probably was only a few areas of study, I guess, that you could get your PhD in. Hmm. Uh, depends what your definition of few is. No. Uh, I, you know what? I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I don't know either. But, well, but you know, what else did he like to do? Yeah, he had a, it was noted he had a strong interest in meteorology. And there's one other thing too that's not on the outline. Uh oh. Geophysics. <laughs> you didn't realize I was such a pro on Alfred Wagner, did you? Did you? Uh, <laughs> I don't know if it happened to Jesse, but your internet froze on me. So I didn't hear anything you said. Oh, no. <laughs> no I- I heard it. I heard oh. the punchline. What was it? I said that he had a strong interest in geophysics. And uh, I, and it wasn't, I mean, not really a punchline. I suppose. It was, and I, then I said, okay, anyways. Yeah. Anyway. All right. So, um, <laughs> but another fun fact about, uh, so I, apparently Alfred was bored after he got his PhD because him and his brother, Kurt, set an endurance record for a balloon flight for staying aloft for 52 hours in 1906. What? And which is impressive because he broke the previous record by 17 hours. He didn't just yeah. like, you know, just say like, okay, cool. Here's the record. He's like, no, we're, you know, we're going we're big with shattering this, this bear. Yeah, no, yeah. Nobody's like, beaten my record, but like 52 so, hours, you got to bring like snacks and like places to go to the bathroom and water. And like, you know, you know, this isn't just some sort of like, that's what they call it, an endurance record. I get. I guess <laughs> that's pretty cool. And I, I just imagine the 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 balloon technology in 1906 being not quite what the hot air balloon technology is of 2021. No, there was a sweet uh, Amazon movie about uh, aeronautics. I think it was called. Uh, anyway, it was it was a it was a pretty cool ballooning movie. Yeah, uh, there was there. I also read a book. Oh, you and your reading, man. And it Bring this called podcast like, down. I know. Sorry. <laughs> it was it was called like Mussolini's airship or something, and it was about it was it was about like a zeppelin, like an uh, but it was balloons. I don't think it was, you know, it wasn't like a dirigible. But it was. Um, they used it for polar exploration, and it ended up. I want to say, like Amundsen maybe died. It, on it like or they were looking for someone there's a whole story there was a whole book about it but it was sort of this really interesting story about polar explorers and so that's i think why kurt wegner he was a polar explorer like alfred and so i feel like in the early 1900s using balloons to get to the north pole was like it was the, it was the hot ticket Man, that must have been cold. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Yeah. In the upper atmosphere and at the North Pole? No thanks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're mm, that's interesting. Um, because I know that there's I've seen I I recently now I don't know, we're going off topic a little bit, but I recently saw a documentary about these uh kite skiers. You guys know what this is? Yeah. If they use like the kite, the wind power, they have kites and it, it propels them on skis, and they're in Antarctica. And they're trying to do this like crazy traverse, like through to the South Pole and all that stuff. And like, all the, all, like, you know, and 
once you got there was a mount there oh, i hope i don't butcher this because my my knowledge of meteorology is not as strong as others but um they got to this one mountain range in antarctica like pretty close to the polar region and the winds has kind of died down because all the air is moving away from the mountains and so i would just wonder you know if you're in a if you're in a balloon you'd have the i mean you'd, you'd have to catch the right winds at the right time yeah. To go to the North Pole, because you know you go up. I, I'd imagine that the balloon technology in the early 1900s is kind of like, <laughs> ah, just kind of floating around, and you know, let's, we'll yep. see. Yeah, I want to say it was, it was like a a tailwind or something that that caused the the Amundsen. It was Amundsen. He was in this Italian airship that crashed, and yeah, it was just like a they. I think previously they had taken a trip trying to get to the North Pole and they ended up like landing in Alaska. They set off from like Norway. Oh, jeez. <laughs> made, made, made a wrong left and ended up <laughs> in Alaska. Don't you hate when that happens? Hey, <laughs> we've all been there. Yeah. So, all right. So, Alfred Wegner and his balloons. Uh, yeah. So, this know, was 1906, yeah. which apparently was a big year for him. Because apparently setting the world record for uh, balloon flight was not the only thing he wanted to do. He also went to Greenland for the first time. And this is uh, this trip to Greenland is where it is thought that he has first entertained the idea of continental drift in 2000 or 1990 or, yeah, 1906. Oh, <clears throat> huh. so, uh, yeah, he went there in 06, and then in 1912, he published a paper on continental drift. Um, yeah, I so knew about the 1912 one. Yeah, so 1912, he published it. It was in German, you know, whatever. Like, he went back to Greenland a few times, became the first person, well, <laughs> scientist. A, it was a, this this German guy wrote it in German, whatever. Right. Yeah. Uh, um, he was yeah, the first... That's interesting about the the balloon because I I always can I always just thought oh he's a meteorologist he looks at weather maps all day so he's he's looking at maps and he sees the coastline shapes and he sees the fit of the coastlines you know he's just staring at it all day every day yeah um, but that's interesting yeah being you know <clears throat> going to Greenland is is where he sort of I that, that kind of blows my mind too like of all the places to go why Greenland and I, I guess at the time it was probably just the least uh, studied place yeah. the, the most untouched by human hands I guess that that you could get to at the time but um, yeah he, he uh, so he went back to Greenland Came the first person scientist to cross the twelve hundred kilometer glacier core of the island. So he yeah, crossed I, I the whole glacier. I didn't huh. realize that he was this much of a, an explorer. Yeah, I knew. I think it was on the first trip to Greenland in nineteen oh six, where he like built like a weather station. Right, he built like a shack to look at the weather. Yep. Yeah, and and was, you know, and, and we'll get to it. Apparently, he was in great shape. Like he, mm -hmm. he just walked and did stuff so 
Um, <laughs> Can you imagine? No, no. Both walking and doing stuff. No, nope. not at the same time. Come on. <laughs> um, but then he came home, married uh, a very lovely woman, Elise Coppin, who is the daughter of the eminent climatologist who developed the classification of world climates that is still yeah, used today. That's crazy, right? He was was like, uh, you know, meteorology slash climatology royalty, you know? Yeah. The the Coppin system. Yeah. Uh, He was in World War One. He was in the army. He was a combatant. He was wounded twice, but remained in the army until the war was over. Uh, But during his recovery is when he wrote his controversial book on continental drift. Mm. He was bored. Like he wrote a paper, I guess, but then he wrote a book. Um, do we know what, how, cause I read that he got wounded, but do we know what happened to him? Like what, how he got wounded What his injury? I don't know if that's in that. that um, I think it was an ingrown toenail. No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, yeah, he, um, I don't know off the top of my head. So leading up to the war, though, he was he he worked as an academic as a meteorologist. Yes, like he was working at. Uh, yeah, I forget what university. Marburg, I think. Yes, uh, that sounds right. Marburg, University of Marburg, and um, he was a lecturer in meteorology, applied astronomy, and cosmic physics. Good for him. Uh, just a could real... you imagine teaching all three of those? <laughs> no Can't, just a real jack of all trades here yeah um <clears throat> yeah i don't he was after being wounded twice though he stayed in the army he was but he was assigned to the army weather service and that um really i think maybe is where we he's just keeps doing this meteorology gig that's where I always think of it. I, I just always, I, I didn't even realize he was an astronomer. A little, a little blown away. I don't know why. <laughs> well, I know it's, uh, isn't it interesting? So like, you know, Alfred Wegener ends up, I, I, he's kind of the, I don't want to say the father of plate tectonics, but he was like, you know, his ideas had a very eventually had a very strong push towards towards the theory of plate tectonics right he was like the godfather of plate tectonics or the the, the grandfather (laughs) of plate tectonics and i just find that interesting it came from someone that you know they he had his his doctorate degree in meteorology and then astronomy astronomy oh i'm sorry you're that's right. I'm sorry. Is, I'm sorry. Is, right. I'm yeah. Sorry. Not even of this world. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not even of this world. And then you look at someone like Charles Darwin, right? Who his mission was, he was on a, he was supposed to do a geological survey of the Galapagos islands and ends up stumbling on one of the most important biological finds. I, I like, always forget. He's a geologist. Yeah. Yeah. Who was his mentor? Was it a, uh, was it uh Hutton? No, Lyell? No. Yeah, uh, it was it was it was yeah. I one know. of the one of the OG geologists. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um <clears throat> Wegner, I do like when he wrote that book when he was laid up, you know, and whenever when would you say 1915? When he wrote that book, <clears throat> the name of it is pretty great. 
the origin of continents and oceans. Like he's yeah. just cut into the chase. Yep. This, <laughs> but he was, this gets back to yeah. what Chris was saying. <clears throat> he was trying, or at least he was trying to reestablish the connection between geophysics and geography and geology, trying to like find this connection because apparently, which I didn't realize they had become pretty separate at this point, <clears throat> which seems early on for that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it was actually, it was written in, uh, he was writing it then, but it was uh, published in 1920. So one thing to go back in time a little bit, let's go back to uh, 1911. All right. So Alfred Wegener is in Marburg, Germany, autumn of 1911. He's hanging around at the university there, browsing in the library, just, just, you know, filling his brain with knowledge. And he comes across this paper that has, it lists fossils of identical plants and animals on opposite sides of the Atlantic ocean. All right. And so this is, this is one of the lines of evidence, you know, he, he starts talking about, you know, his whole thing was, was, was continental drift. And we'll talk a little bit about how you can't really say continental drift. That's not totally correct, but uh, you know, so anyway, he starts, he kind of stumbles upon this information about these fossils on either side of the Atlantic ocean. And he looked at this, he goes, huh, how can this happen? And um, you know, how are these organisms, especially like land animals, how are they, how are they getting from like uh, South America over into Africa or something like this? Like, you know, this is like, this is crazy stuff, you know, and the same exact fossil. Uh, scientists where the science was at the time in the early 1900s had suggested that there were land bridges that at one time connected these continents, but had since sunken mm -hmm. and they're no longer there. Right. Yeah. Or, or, uh, Island hopping. Yeah. Like where they would Ooh. hop from Island to Island to Island. <laughs> So anyway, this, so this goes back to 1911. This is so this is even before he was because he was drafted into the the German army in 1914. But he started kicking around these ideas like you know before you know, and then we said after he got injured, then he he wrote uh, you know he wrote his book recovering from his uh, from his uh, injury. So uh, yeah, so that was one of the the fundamental things I guess he was he was chewing on for for all these years. And yeah, then, uh, and he even co-authored a. Uh, book on paleoclimates with his uh, father esteemed father-in-law. Yeah, huh. so this guy really, yeah. Like I, I guess people were thinking about paleoclimates a hundred years ago, which is pretty cool. Yeah, there's. I mean, it, it's interesting when you when you start diving into some of it. There's um, what's this? There's a Scottish. This is sort of a side note, but about paleoclimates, uh, there was a Scottish, I guess you would call him a naturalist. He was just one of these guys who just studied science in the 19th century, who <clears throat> um, essentially came up with Milankovitch cycles before Milankovitch. Whoa. No, no kidding. Yeah. What was his name? Um, James Kroll. And it was, you know, it wasn't as refined but he thought a lot about <clears throat> and it was in the yeah it was in the uh, the mid to late 1800s where he was thinking about how climate was 
variable based on Earth's orbit. Now, you know, he was he was no mathematician. Yeah, yeah Milankovitch really put the rubber to the road, as it were, and, <laughs> and, and really pointed out. But he, Kroll was one of the early people to, to sort of think about this idea. He thought about ice ages. Yeah. And, and as uh, Patreon, Frank just said, some of these ideas go back to Humboldt. So Alexander von Humboldt, um, who was, who was, we should probably do a show on, he was a Jack of all trades, but yeah, not a lot of people were giving much thought to it. So it is always interesting when you when you hear people back in the day mentioning it, sort of. The fact that, you know, where we are in relation to the sun yeah. and how it can seriously affect everything. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I think there's like, a, I feel like there's occasionally you'll see it pop up on the internet if you're familiar. Um, system of tubes and wires uh yes yes i'm familiar it's a clip it's like a photo of and i don't i should check the veracity before i make claims but it essentially is like about the internet saying yeah yeah. (laughs) but it's it's from like the early 1900s like this journal article and it just as a passing side note is like and CO2 may be responsible for global, uh, may be responsible for warming the earth. Anyway, let's fly an airship to Greenland. <laughs> Everyone in my Zeppelin. <laughs> Huzzah! <laughs> but, yeah. uh, sorry. No, no. Got, got sidetracked there. All well, right. So. You know what? So we're in the early 1900s and you know, it's, you know, Alfred Wegener came up with all these ideas, but you know what? He didn't have, and maybe this would have changed when he wrote his book. He didn't have Microsoft Word. Uh, no. Gosh. Could you, you imagine, imagine if he had Microsoft Word? Oh, my I, goodness. I assume his book didn't take off because it was formatted poorly. Yeah, exactly. That's And or he didn't know how to hit the translate button in Word. Wait. Right? Yeah. So there's a uh, translate. I I'm not going to make that claim again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but if you wanted to find out if there was a translate button in Word, you would go to www.formattingformula.com or YouTube forward slash C forward slash formatting formula to figure out, you know, hey, what can Word do for me? Uh, honestly, uh, first of all, the formatting formula. Uh, recently changed their website. It looks pretty cool if I do say so myself. Um, but honestly, I, I know we make this joke every week about our outline being in word and all this stuff, but they really do have all of the word documenting stuff down table of contents, inserting figures, um, you know, you can wrap text around pictures, things like that. Just all the little stuff that that may be frustrating as heck to you, um, they can do all the way up to like super duper like uh, the the toolbar at the top. They can customize it for you for all the stuff that you do for your job regularly. So, um, if if you 
want them to take a look at it for you, you can check them out at www.formulaformula.com. Or if you want to see if you can just figure it out yourself, go go check out their YouTube videos, YouTube forward slash C forward slash formula and see what they have to offer. They, you know, they have uh, tons and tons and tons of videos about how to do stuff. So uh, check them out. Um, and of course, the most important thing, make sure you put in the comments somewhere. Oh, the geology final cast sent me to you. So that way they'll, they'll keep supporting us <laughs> as we support them. So in the words of the formatic formula, don't hate word, learn it. That's right. Yes. That's beautiful. Don't hate word. Learn it. Word. All right. So do you want to, uh, let's see. Do you want to stay in chronological order with this? Uh, I kind of want to just, um, so you so want to drift about <laughs> not Whoa. quite yet. So I'd like to wrap up, uh, poor Wagner's life. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. You are familiar that way. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, just so, and, and then we can wrap get into up his life <laughs> or allegedly like, Je- Jesse I'm still like, thinks he's out there alive and kicking. I'm sad now. No, I yeah. was reading about how he's, well, Got no, it. he's he's 141 years old, still kicking it in Greenland. He's he's with Elvis and Tupac, just hanging he, out. <laughs> and Vincent he might, Price. He might be a block of ice, and this might be the start of a Ooh. classic reanimation like, story. Yeah, I was gonna say like, uh, I feel like this is like a early 90s movie. Oh, yeah, uh, Encino Man. Yeah, yeah. Man. yes, that's it. Yeah, yeah with Pauly Shore, Brendan Fraser. And the and guy no, Rudy. it wasn't Brendan Fraser. It was, it was uh, Brendan oh, Fraser. Well, Brendan was Fraser the was the, the caveman, but it was uh, the guy from the Lord of the Rings. What's Aston Sean Aston? There it is. Yeah, oh. from the Goonies, I should say. All Star, yeah, yeah, Rudy. All Star yeah. cast. Okay. All right. Anyways, all right. So, uh, published this book in 1920. It was revised in 22 and 29. Um. It uh, so it it was published in twenty, but it it didn't get tons of criticism until twenty four when it was translated into English, French, Spanish, and Russian. But so in nineteen thirty, so we started getting criticism in twenty four. We'll we'll get into that criticism too about uh, yes, that's that's a big part what we're going to talk about today. So but we're going to wrap and, up his life, though, real fast. So No, but honestly, <laughs> I, I think I think this plays into it. I think the criticism like drove him to, you know, he, he's been to Greenland several times. So now in spring of 1930, Wagner uh, departed on his final expedition to Greenland. Uh, one of the goals was to establish a mid ice camp estimate station uh, 400 kilometers from Greenland's west coast 250 miles for us in imperial units um the altitude was 3,000 meters or about 10,000 feet so but bad weather hampered his attempts to establish the outpost only a fraction of the supplies that were needed made it to the camp Uh oh yeah so as the leader Uh wagner led a relief party consisting of fellow meteorologist fritz Lowe and 13 Greenlanders to resupply this station. So we're okay. we're going to do this. All right. Uh, heavy snow and temperatures below 50 degrees C. Woo. 
Yeah. So little, negative little, 58 Fahrenheit. A little chilly. Uh, <laughs> uh, most of the party said, <laughs> forget this. We're going back. All right. So it was so the, a bunch of them went back to base camp. Wagner, Lowe, and one Greenlander, Rasmus Vilmanson, continued on. 40 days later, 40 days later in this awful weather, uh, on October 30th, 1930, Wagner and his companions reached the station. Wow. Yeah. Unable to communicate with the base camps because there was just no, like the radio wasn't working. Uh, the researchers believed to be in dire su- need of supplies. They actually managed to dig an ice cave and they <sighs> came up with their own shelter. They had enough supplies. <laughs> Uh, and intended to s- stretch their supplies through the winter. So the hero- heroic supply supply run that Wagner led was in vain. It was unnecessary. No. He didn't even need to do it. So uh, Lowe, who had um, bit, been exposed to frostbite and exhaustion, um, decided to just stay there and not try to go back because now you're talking it's late October. So they were in spring, took them 40 days to get there. Then they were there. Then they just, then Wagner decides like, all right, well, let's go back. (laughs) And Lowe is like, are you kidding me? Like I lost toes and fingers and like, no, I'm staying here. But Wagner reportedly looked fresh, happy, and as fit as if he had just been on a walk. Good for him. <laughs> Good yeah. for him. Apparently, Wagner ran ultra marathons too. Uh, some, was... <laughs> something in the, in the snow. Apparently, good yeah. for him. Good for him. So uh, on November first, they celebrated his fiftieth birthday. Him and Vilmanson, happy birthday, the Greenlander, mm. uh, set off back to the coast. Due to the inability to maintain contact between the stations during the winter, the two were thought to have wintered at the Esmite station while so the people at base camp thought he stayed at the station the people at station thought he went to base camp yeah communication breakdown exactly Led Zeppelin knew what they were talking about Um, so uh, the exact date and cause of Wagner's death remains unknown a search team located his body beneath the snow approximately halfway between the two stations uh, they found him. They found the body, right? They, well, oh, that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Allegedly. Yeah. So they say. Uh, but only Wagner. So Wagner was known to be physically fit, and his body showed no signs of trauma, starvation, or exposure. It is thought he may have suffered a heart attack. Wilmanson also assumed to have died during a journey, but his remains were never found. Um, so <sighs> later, the search team... Uh, Buried Wagner in the position at which he was found, respectfully constructed a snow block monument, which, uh, you know, was pretty classy. And then later, it doesn't say when later, I I couldn't figure find that, but a 20 foot iron cross was erected at the site. All have long since vanished under the ice of the glacier. That's just like nature being poetic right there, you know? No, but it honestly, I, and I did go on, morbidly go on google earth and try to figure out all right where's halfway 
is there like an, all of a sudden an iron cross sticking out of the ice? <laughs> but I could not find it. <laughs> there's um, there's an interesting story about, <clears throat> this is a side note about the ice taking things and, and seeing things. Um, if you want to take a little side detour. Here. Yeah. The pole, of, the pole of inaccessibility in Antarctica. Yes. Which is like, you know, like the furthest point away from anything on mm-hmm. the continent and the soviets what is it i think the, the soviets, soviets put the got, statue there yeah they put a they, statue there and they like put lenin on it yeah yeah but then the americans like an american team went there and turned lenin the other way around and so the soviets oh. <laughs> went back <laughs> and like each time each team went back, it's it, one of those things where it's sort of just like goofy that they're doing it but each time they went back, like they had initially constructed like, yeah, like a 30 foot tall monument. And now apparently like <clears throat> it's up to like Lenin's head or something. It's like, yeah, the I, snow I, is just, I saw, it. I saw the docu- the documentary I was talking about earlier with the, the kite skier, this guy ends up going out to, he hits that what's called the point of inaccessibility the pole of inaccessibility. He goes there and you, you see, you see the bust of Lenin. What? Like, yeah. And it's, it's not that big. Yeah. What I, for what I remember, I don't, I don't remember it being that big, but I think the Soviets, they were like landing planes there to like, to set this thing up back. In the yeah. Day. They, they weren't like, they weren't doing any like skiing yeah, or whatever. It's slowly there. being consumed by the snow. Mm. A picture of this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yep. All right. So, Back so this the- is this is how Wagner died allegedly, because <laughs> he still sends us Facebook messages. But uh, so now we have this great debate. He came up with this big plan of continental drift. The continents are now drifting, and and he didn't really have a mechanism. Well, we should, it's not really here, but we should talk about his lines of evidence that he had. Yes. So p- part of it was, you know, that, that obscure paper that listed uh, fossil evidence from continent to continent, uh-huh. at, you know, all the way across the Atlantic Ocean and, and even into Australia and Antarctica and Greenland. And also uh, there was glacial striations. So if you were to squish all these continents back together and assume that there was some sort of glaciation, those glacial striations kind of point all in the radial same direction out from the middle. Um, what else am I missing? Uh, like the geological formations going across the continents. Yep. So like in, in particular, one of the ones that Wagner noticed, uh, he looked at the Appalachian mountains, which, Hey, I feel like why do I feel like we just talked about that? Or <laughs> he looked at the Appalachian Mountains and you know and, and matched the Appalachians with the Scottish Highlands, mm-hmm. and you know it all kind of connects up. And then also, there's a very distinctive rock system in South Africa called the Karoo system, and it's identical to the stuff you see in Santa Catarina in Brazil. So he's looking at that and he's saying, hey, "Listen." these things looked like they, they were, they were, they were connected. Right. So I think these continents used to be connected and somehow 
somehow they moved away, right? And this is where we're going to get into some of the stuff about when Wegner, the, the, the criticism that he hits. But I just want to say one other thing about Wegner, about this, this idea of continental drift. Um, you know, this, Wegner wasn't the first person to say that these continents were moving around. In fact, some cartographers in early as the, the um, I, I guess like the 1500s or so, when, once they started mapping out the coastlines of the continents, they started to realize that it looks like uh, South America and Africa kind of, you know, or whatever, you know, they, yeah. They, yeah. it looks like this stuff. I don't know about that, those two specific continents, but the, the early cartographers in the 1500s started kind of saying like, hmm, you know, but you don't really hear too much about, about the, you guys know no, more about those, the cartographers? Back there in, is like, that famous, there's, there's a famous map that was done by um, a French geographer in the early 1800s. And it's probably like, it's like the classic one you see of, of Africa and South America and North America all connected. Um, Antonio Snyder Pellegrini. Hmm. I don't know why I made him sound um, Italian there. He's French. <laughs> he did. <laughs> Pellegrini. Pellegrini. Maybe he was down in the Alps. He was on the Italian border. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Well, yeah, and, and yeah, now, Wagner. Wagner wasn't the first one, obviously, to see like, hey, they squished together pretty well. But he was the first I think one. That's, that's the translation you got. They yeah. squished together. Yeah, pretty well. Pretty so this well. Is, this is where I'm gonna. One of my favorite quotes in all, like. My favorite scientist quotes ever is I want to quote the late great Carl Sagan. Rest in peace, pour one out for my homie. Um, Carl Sagan has one of my favorite quotes: "Extraordinary claims call for extraordinary evidence." All right, so here's how science works, ladies and gentlemen. Ooh. Any bozo can come up with any idea, all right? And we hear a lot of ideas here at the Geology Flannel Cast, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, think about that every time I do research now. Just a bozo in the lab here. Yep. Every time I have a conversation with Thornburg over here, just, <laughs> just bozo now. <laughs> it's through your head every time. <laughs> no, but, you know, here's, here's the cool thing about science. We all, you know, anybody can say whatever they want, Right. But you better put your money where your mouth is, all right? If yeah, you're the, gonna, the, the the rubber's got to hit the road. Right? Yeah, there you go. The rubber's <laughs> got to hit the road. <laughs> it's beautiful. So you know, if, if you make a claim in science, you better be darn sure to have some evidence to support this claim. All right. Now, here's what started happening. Here's my little, uh, you know, synopsis of the whole situation. All right. Wagner says, "Hey." The continents used to be connected and they're moving around. They're drifting, if you may, around. But here's the deal. How much does Eurasia weigh? How much does Africa or North America, how much do these continents weigh? These are huge, huge land masses. I don't know exactly how much the continents weigh, but it's, it's, it's a ton. It's a lot, right? So you better have a really big tugboat to move these continents around. All right. You got to have some like super crazy force to, to shove these continents all over the earth. Like what, you know, what Wegner was saying. And that's where Wegner's ideas kind of start to fall apart. All right. So before he died, let's, so let's, let's backtrack. I think I'm going off the outline here, but, uh, 
Well, it's fine. I bring him back to life. Yeah. We're going to bring Wagner back to life. And he basically had two, two hypotheses that move the continents around. Right. So the first one, he said, he goes, I think that the continents are just kind of like plowing through the oceanic crust like like an icebreaker. Do you ever see like the Coast Guard icebreaker ships? Like they mm-hmm. go up the, the rivers and like the really cold areas so you can keep the shipping traffic. That, that's what he thought the continents were doing, right? And then, so, all right. So there, he said, this is my mechanism, you know. What do you guys think, scientific community? And scientific community says, Wagner, that, that's not going to work, buddy. Come on. Come yeah, really? What is causing them to move? What's, right. what's causing them to move? And, and, and it's the number one, the ocean crust is just too strong to, for the, the continents just to plow through this like an icebreaker. And number two, don't you think the continents would be a little deformed if, the, if, if they were just kind of plowing through the oceanic crust? So Wagner says, okay, I, I, I see your point. Point taken. Okay. <laughs> hypothesis number two okay i think that what was the first one you thought the the tidal force right yes. from the moon yeah. was it and then the, the moon force, and the sun yeah the moon and the sun was enough and then then he later said the centrifugal force from the earth spinning around the earth's rotation could move the continents around yeah because the the first one the the sun and the moon gravitational forces essentially like tides yeah he's saying yeah the tides tides rising and falling is slowly pushing the continents yeah and uh there was a prominent physicist at the time harold jeffries uh did did the math and basically figured out that if that were the case um that the tides would if, if there was that much force involved with the tides, eventually the earth would stop rotating like pretty fast, right? And like within a matter of years, Few years, not, yeah, okay, not, yeah. <laughs> not billions of years. So, um, kudos to Harold Jeffries for, yeah, I don't, out, but usually don't like to give physicists too much credit because no. it goes right to their head, yeah. But, uh, yeah, he was right this time, this one and only time. I'm just kidding. Um, I, no, I like but so he, he was trying to Wegner was trying to prove this with astronomy. So that's one of the reasons why he went to Greenland the last time yeah, was to but, like measure where Greenland was in relation to the stars to show that Greenland was moving. So hold that thought for one second. I just want to say <gasps> one more thing about this tidal <laughs> force slash uh, centrifugal force thing. The physicists did the calculations, and it turns out that Wegner, it would take, well, Wegner was off by six orders of magnitude. That's the amount of like tidal force that you would need. It'd have to be, it'd have to be a million, uh, or was it six or seven? So, um, yeah, anyways, yeah, 10 to the six times stronger than what it is today. Yeah. That's, I mean, in scientific terms, that would be considered not even close. Yeah, it's swinging a mess, buddy. Yeah, swinging a mess. and that I well, always. But, but for a hundred years ago, uh, now even then he should have known better, because like the the tidal forces you can calculate. I mean, we, he should have known better as an astronomer that the tidal forces weren't enough. He should have known the orbital dynamics and yeah. the rotation of the Earth. He should have been able to do the math. Come on, Wagner. 
Get out your slide rule. Put the tires, put the rubber to the, what was it? Put, you got to put the rubber to the road. Put and the rubber to is, the road. <laughs> this is, uh, this is what I shout when I teach about Wagner is that he had all of this evidence. Like the evidence was piling up at this point, but he had no mechanism to explain how this worked. Put your money where your mouth is, and buddy. And so, yeah, all of that evidence is just coincidental at this point. Yeah. And that's the thing, you know, uh, where they always say uh, correlation is not causation. Causation, right. yeah. A uh, friend of <clears throat> friend of the podcast who we had on a while ago, maybe we should bring him back. Uh, Tim Davis teaches a, a class specific. It's called Evil Plots, and it literally looks at like how you plot data and how you can make it lie versus not lend. Oh, there's a great book called how to lie with statistics. Yeah. And yeah. it's the whole idea is that, you know, you, you can make, you know, all of the evidence in the world say whatever you want, but if, if you can't explain why it's doing that, well, the rubber is not hitting the road. No. Mm -hmm. mm -mm. So, so in 24, his book was translated and, you know, stuff starts hitting the fan essentially scientists start coming out of the woodwork saying like um you're crazy like and this can, can you read off some of these quotes real i fast? do yes. I love these, these, quotes. these are great quotes i'm looking at right now so and, be, before you say this I, I will say maybe this is one of the <clears throat> this is a problem many people especially younger researchers face sometimes you know on one hand if you make an extraordinary not that wegener was young um He's 50. Um, he wasn't old. Yeah, no, he was prime of his life as we all age. It's running around Greenland, no problem yeah, at all, seriously. willy nilly. Yeah, right? <laughs> also, apparently, you know, he was a heavy smoker. He smoked that. There's a picture of him with that crazy, crazy pipe, pipe he used to yeah, smoke. That like Marshawn Piper, what, yeah. what do you call it? Yeah. But this is, this is something like when you think about how <clears throat> science, this is one of the sort of the downsides of, of science in that you know there on one hand you make this extraordinary claim even backed up by evidence <clears throat> if you don't have the mechanism you know you're kind of out of luck but on the other hand there's people that have a, a stake in this because you know their whole careers or their whole research yeah. is based on the other method the, the other explanation and so you're confronting their life's work and so they're gonna they're gonna come at you yeah and and that's guns a blazing not, yeah not the way it should be but that's the way it that's the way it be no and and that is a shame like especially in science like if somebody presents an idea you should say huh that's an interesting idea yeah let, let me look at your evidence not your initial reaction shouldn't be like no, that goes against exactly what I've been doing for the last 20 years. So you must be wrong. Yeah. You know, like I, we're, you're about to tell us some quotes and we're going to laugh at them because it's a hundred years ago. But yeah. It still goes on today. And it's, if, I feel like if anything, it's gotten worse in that <clears throat> people can be mean. I yeah. Mean, I think people were always mean. It's a good point. But true. But <laughs> all right. So uh, now they here, take it to Twitter and they let everyone else know. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, so American geologist R.T. Chamberlain 
and and this is such a like a uh victorian type response i guess so this uh all right so this is chamberlain quote wagner's hypothesis in general is of the footloose type in that it takes considerable liberty with our globe and is less bound by restrictions or tied down by awkward, ugly facts than most of its rival theories. It appeals. Uh, it, it appeal seems to lie in the fact that it plays a game in which there are few restrictive rules and no sharply drawn code of conduct. <laughs> like that. Yeah. Like, I, I like it because it makes me like Wegner more. He's fast yeah. and loose. Yeah. He's just romping around Greenland. He's like, found a rock, proves my theory. But the I'm fact like that throwing it's just... it at him, put it in the box, footloose. <laughs> it's a... Hey, got some striations, put it in the box. Yep. I assume he has a big box. And then uh, WB Scott, who is a little more concise, uh, he was the former president of the American Philosophical Society. Uh, described, right? Yeah. Yeah. Described his uh, hypothesis as, quote, utter damned riot <laughs> i like <clears throat> that that makes me think like that sounds positive to me i don't know I, but like the fact that the the president of the american yeah. philosophical society would just he is throw un- down the gauntlet like that he like nope, you're a crazy man you know yeah. what? I, I, looking at this uh, from the the first quote you said from uh, let's see, was that R. T. Chamberlain? Yeah, uh, and he goes, "The last part is uh, you know the fact that it plays a game which there are few restrictive rules and sharply and no sharply drawn code of conduct." The interesting thing is that when you know this continental drift eventually evolved into plate tectonics, people were saying the same thing about plate tectonics. Like you have no rules for this. Like mm-hmm. you're just saying that like, oh, whatever, hot spots are popping up all over the place here. You know, like, oh, you yeah. can't explain where this landform came from. Oh, exotic terrain. Oh, everything's exotic terrain. That's what that those were like some of the arguments that they were saying back in like the back in the uh, the the 60s and the 70s. So William William Scott or W.B. Scott, William Berryman Scott, he actually said utter damn rot, which is even more biting. A rot, not rot. Rot. Oh, utter damned, my, utter damned rot. That's and then he my went bad. on. That is a typo. He, he went on to <laughs> use some riot. Could have used some formatting there. Nice. Uh, <laughs> could have. He also went on to say, "Wegner is not seeking the truth. He is advocating a cause and is blind to every argument and fact that tells against it." Wow. Yeah. And I mean, there is, there's, there's truth to that. You, yeah. People, there are people. Yeah. Who was it? Uh, Kelvin, right? You have a beef with Kelvin. I got a big beef with Kelvin, but I'm not going to get into it right now. Yeah. But yeah, people latch onto an idea and, you know, they, they want it to be true. So everything they see makes it true. Yeah. They're blinded by the light. <sighs> Revved up like a deuce in the middle of the night. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, anyhow. All right. 
So what what are it's some just, of these? It's just interesting because that people still think like this today. They just you know oh, yeah, God, they don't yeah. talk like that, oh, but you know no. it's something. Yeah, you know, they it, it would be no, if I could be that eloquent in my retorts. Oh my gosh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> I'm going to start referring the, the premier podcast, not just the geology premier <laughs> podcast. Next conference I'm at when someone asks a question, even if it's a good question, I'm just going to call it utter damn rot. Utter damn rot. <laughs> <laughs> You're not seeking the truth. You are. <laughs> Your hypothesis in general is footloose in type. Well, you know. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Yeah, Alfred Wagner was just, you know, he's just before his time. Or what's that? Was it, uh, you know? Yeah. So he's he just needed... ahead of his time, before yeah. his time. Ahead of... Yeah. All right. So w- some of the main objections, obviously, were mechanism, like we talked about. Um, it wasn't the sun or the tides. Um, it wasn't a continental icebreaker. <laughs> so. Honestly. I mean, I, well, the other I will thing say, too is, uh, oh, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jesse. I got I was just going to say, <clears throat> um, uh, just reading the, the chat here where Frank said about m- the main opposition was from America. And part of the main opposition being from America was the, some of the, the, the earliest and best studies of sort of structural geology, looking at how the rocks were folded and whatnot was in the Appalachian mountains, as we sort of alluded to in the past couple episodes, Carbon which members. led to the idea of geosyncline theory, which is sort of the predecessor to plate tectonics in, in how mountains grow and um, erode away and then regrow and so on. And that was all developed on the East coast of, of North America, sort of at, at the, early geology schools so like yale and and all of those others other schools and i think that's why there was a lot of pushback from america Mm. so another reason for some pushback i'm happy you said this first uh because this dovetails with kind of what you said i thought you're gonna be like because it's wrong it's it's just (laughs) it's just rot okay (laughs) no okay so uh, another issue that showed up with Wegner's original data caused him to, he made some, he just made some, he, Wegner did make some mistakes. Okay. Oh, yeah. He wasn't, he wasn't like perfect with, with what he was saying. And one of his predictions or one of his, uh, yeah, or predictions or hypotheses, he suggested that North America and Europe were, were moving apart at over 250 centimeters a year. Okay, so that's 10 times. It's more than 10 times what the rate is today. Today, we know the rate's about two centimeters a year, but he's saying it was about 250 centimeters a year. Um, Yeah. So what is what is uh, I'm sorry, it's 100 times. He said it's it's a it's 100 times faster. That's yeah. I made a mistake. It should be two two point five centimeters, two point five. And he said it was 250 centimeters a year. Yeah, that's like eight to 10 feet. That's that's hauling right that there. That is that's, cooking. That's <laughs> the rubber <laughs> on the road, baby. <laughs> yeah. That's like you could be at the you'd be at the Jersey Shore and you'd see it receding away, I mean, the ocean. Going out of there like a bat out of Hades. So now <laughs> there were some scientists that did support Wagner. You know, I was, we've been we've been kind of focusing on the, the trash talking here because 
like that language, like we said, was so elegant and like entertaining looking back on it a hundred years later, you know? Um, but uh, let's see. So we had uh, one of, one of Wegner's, one of the guys that supported Wegner was a South African geologist named Alexander Dutoit. Yeah. And- but before him, there was Arthur Holmes in 1928 actually proposed that the flow of hot mantle within or a hot material within the mantle was responsible for propelling the continents across the globe. Oh, yeah. Nailed it. Nailed it. Mantle convection in 1938. Take take that Hess. Uh, This is in 1928, but, but yes, but Alexander uh, do, and I can't pronounce it. Toy. Toy. Yeah. And he he like basically he saw that um you know the similarity between the strata and the fossils between Africa and South America, you know, he was like, Yeah, hey, that that you know looks that looks pretty legit to me. (laughs) That crazy German was right. Yeah. Um, I don't I I I just want to jump on Steve's outline here. I'm pretty sure it's Arthur Holmes. Uh, I'm pretty sure it is too. I I am. I can't. <laughs> I was typing quickly. No, Arthur. no. I, it's yeah. He was. But anyway, I just want to give utter damned rot. Utter damn rot. I just want to give Arthur Holmes the the credit yeah. he deserves for being an early proponent of uh, mantle convection. Yeah. Uh, another guy that uh, liked what Wagner was saying, this is off the outline, but uh, we have a Swiss geologist named Emil Argand. And he was looking at these, you know, these continental collisions and he goes, wow, this is like, yeah, this makes sense for like the folded strata that I'm looking at in the Swiss Alps. Like this would be the force to, to fold all this stuff up. So he's like, yeah, that's uh, that uh, I buy it. <laughs> It tracks. Yeah. Uh, another thing about continental drift, and we end up moving away from this. We'll, we'll get into more of the the transition into how this turned into plate tectonics, but we don't say continental drift anymore because it's not just the continents that are drifting around. The ocean's moving around. The ocean floor is moving around too. Continental drift just seems that like it's only the continents that are moving. But now we know in, with plate tectonics, modern day plate tectonics, the ocean floor is moving around as well. Right, and and it's not just and and drift also has a uh, uh, arbitrary connotation to it, whereas it there is a mechanism. It's not just floating around out there. i mean I, I guess technically it is floating around out there yeah but uh drift density yeah it gives it a uh a, a sort of um i don't know what's the word i'm looking for some sort it's of it, it in randomness almost randomness right? thank you yeah. yes so yeah, it's wandering it's like yeah you're just it's me in the middle of the night looking for a snack <laughs> so Yes, wandering. Uh, the the drift part of it and the fact that it's just the continents are both inaccurate. Yeah. So Alfred Wegener, he's, he's some good ideas. He's good ideas. Just, uh, just he needed he needed to tweak some stuff. 
you know, look, I, and you know, and we're Monday more, obviously Monday morning quarterbacking here. We have, you know, a hundred years later, like, pff, come on, you know, but uh, you know, at the time, this is some pretty revolutionary stuff that, that Wagner was, was throwing out there, you know, this is like upending everything really. So uh, after, so Wagner dies, right. Dies in 1930. And then from my allegedly. understanding, allegedly, from my, him and Bigfoot, you can see them in the Pacific Northwest still, just kind of every once in a while, they'll, they'll come around. <laughs> it, from my understanding oh, yeah. about the history behind this, I'm not looking at the outline at all, but uh, <laughs> I like where we're at in the show right now. Yeah, just, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm glad I spent hours <laughs> developing this outline. But I, mean, I, I don't know. It, anyways, so it seems to me that the whole uh, Wegner stuff kind of was put on the put on the back shelf for a little bit after yes. he died so from the 1930s until about the 1950s yeah and that- i mean part of that was he had no mechanism of of action for it and part of it was uh the great depression and the second world war that's a yes. good point good point yeah this is kind of they had some ish going on for those <laughs> you know no time and- to be traipsing around greenland and, well it's funny because there there were people who did believe in a series and went back to Greenland several times oh. and a couple oh, to, times during World War II. <laughs> right. To, to, yeah. to continue his uh, uh, astronomy theory. Like he said that if oh. Greenland's moving around, we'll see it with the stars. Yeah. And, and that's uh, smart. That makes sense. Was, I mean, it, you would need thousands of years to recognize it. I, or I was really just going to say it, it was, yeah. it was proved wrong in that short time period. Yeah. Like what is like, this guy talking nope, about? Right. Like, Wagner was wrong. Yeah. If, if you had a, I guess if, you had if he really... said, excuse me, if he said he's moving at, you know, at North America and Europe are moving at 250 centimeters a year, yeah. then they're like, all right, dude, eight feet. We, you know, we maybe we'll pick actually, you know what? Theoretically, would you be able to pick up a difference of eight feet with the looking at the, uh, the technology the from a hundred years ago? And you know, what? even at that eight feet, I don't think, you, Unless over you the ten, course if you give it ten years, no, I mean like twenty you're not gonna, years. Just looking at the angles of the stars, yeah, like twenty years, maybe you got to go. I would imagine you would have to go like hundreds of miles away in order. Yeah, for you would need really different. sensitive. But I don't. I mean, like you know, they had sextons back then who you know navigated by the stars, and you True. know the the the. If we're, what year? When did they get? When did these guys go back to Greenland? Is this in the, in the outline? Uh, it is disprove them because that's an in, interesting in point. World War II, they had sextons on the bomber planes, and that's how if that's how they navigated at nighttime. Yeah, do you do you know the Navy has gone back to um teaching um sextants again? Yeah, just in case of like EMPs or something. Yeah, it makes sense. G- yeah, in case GPS goes out. Yeah, which, they went yeah. back in 36, 38, and 48. Mm. Yeah, so they skipped to what happened during 19 between 38 and 48. Nothing, <laughs> nothing. Um, so. that's yeah, it's interesting. Um, yeah, I, I was gonna the idea about uh, <clears throat> uh, what's his face talking about mantle convection, but I'm gonna hold off on that for now, right? Arthur Holmes, yeah, what yeah. good into it. Well, he he talked about hot material within the mantle might be responsible so convection didn't come up until the 60s with 
Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. So we had a lot of people objecting to the, because there was no mechanism, not all objected. And like Holmes uh, proposed a pretty valid mechanism. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, like Chris said, essentially nothing happened for 25 years because Holmes Holmes lived long enough to be vindicated. Yeah. He he lived, I want to say he lived into the fifties. And like Jesse said, you, you did have, uh, the end of world war one, the great depression, the, the beginning of world war two. So not a lot of stuff happened in the entire planet during that time. But, um, so, Paleomagnetism was introduced. Mm. Uh, mm. So pre- mm. previous this, previous this positions made, of the magnetic field. This would have made Wegener so happy because it's geophysics. Oh my god! Yeah, right. Ugh. So uh, here's some basics of paleomagnetism. So just just so you know, magnetic north is not geographic north. So if sorry you if I just buy, but that's true. If you buy a cheap compass and you're trying to find Santa Claus at the North Pole, you're, <laughs> you're going to be find them. you're going to be off. You're going to be a off a few you're, hundred miles. You're probably somewhere over the Arctic Ocean, and it's uh yeah. <laughs> so uh, geographic north is actually the the north that's based on the Earth's rotational axis. So where the Earth is spinning, you know, if you're a Harlem Globetrotter spinning your basketball. Your, your finger would be the South Pole. Um, magnetic North is not that place. Um, so there are some materials, minerals on the planet that are naturally magnetic. So you have um, magnetite, for, for example, and magnetite is found in basalts. And basalt is pretty much... Uh, not pretty much, but it, it's fairly ubiquitous in eruptions, volcanoes, fissures. You know, it, it's it's a really good uh, material that is spewed out from the Earth's interior. Agreed. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and it, it's and also, God, you have these these um, basically. Uh, iron bearing minerals we could even just yes. kind of like just yeah you're right you're right water just, it down just like that anything that has iron in it, iron is magnetic iron will like any iron filings you put it near a magnet they're going to align towards the magnet right mm-hmm. um so when these molten rocks are coming out of the interior of the planet from volcanoes from fissures from uh mid-atlantic ridges which we'll get into um they're hot they're it's molten rock so it's it's a it's a little rusty toasty yeah it, the, it would burn you yes uh it would be more than all, enough to cook a hot dog cook hot dogs on there yes um thank so, you colorado maddie for that yeah <laughs> uh they're essentially coming out at above or greater than a thousand degrees centigrade the Curie point, which is uh, 
named after Madame Curie, um, which is about 585 degrees C is the threshold point above above this temperature. Minerals are not mag magnetic below this temperature. They are, which is crazy that I guess she yeah. figured this out or did they name it after her? I don't, I, I honestly don't know. Uh, I, I don't know either, but it's yeah. Yeah. But th- they figured out this point. Like if you're hotter than a certain temperature, this Curie point, you're no longer magnetic. You don't give a crap where <laughs> the magnetic pole of the planet is. But once you drop below this 585 degrees C, all of a sudden you can become magnetic and you align. Like if you have any iron in your mineral, it is aligning towards where magnetic north is. So you can yeah. kind of think of it as like uh, you got you have a mineral. It's starting to crystallize out of the melt. But that mineral might be its own little island in this like in the in the melt. And so it can kind of spin around. You ever see like uh, some of the most basic, like earliest compasses? It was like it was just a, a piece of of uh, like uh, iron floating around on a cork in a, in a in a liquid in, in water, and it would line up with the it would t- you know line up with the Earth's um, magnetic field to tell you th- the direction of north. And that's kind of what these magnetic minerals are doing as they're cooling out of the uh, as they're crystallizing out, I should say out of your melt. So they're kind of like floating around and as they're floating around, they're able to line up, they lock in and then, and then they're, they're pointing North is pointing to the North. And um, I guess that's a little redundant to say it like that, but uh. <laughs> no, no. So, so the iron bearing minerals are, are aligning themselves with the magnetic field and, you know, between 800 and uh, essentially almost 600 degrees C until the time they freeze they have plenty of time to align themselves to the magnetic field. So they're, they're all pointing towards North. Yeah. And then when they freeze now, all of a sudden you have, this well, like, they're no, not no, always no, no, no. pointing towards the North. Yeah. Well, they're, they're pointing towards magnetic North when they're above the Curie point, they're random. Right. I'm sorry. Once, once they start to cool down before yeah. they freeze, they're pointing towards magnetic North. I do. I just want to jump in here real Do quick. It. The Curie point, Curie temperature, named after Pierre. That's oh, the one time Pierre, where he, Madam. he gets the credit over Marie. Yeah. Add a boy. He it's good it's for the, him. The, yeah. She did all the important stuff. He did the melting. No, I'm just huh. joking. <laughs> nice. If, um, if there's any Pierre Curie fans out there, I'm just joking. <laughs> no, no, it's not. <laughs> uh, so essentially all, right. all, all the lava on the planet has at least some iron bearing minerals in it. And, and yeah. that's a blanket statement, obviously not all of them, but um, when this lava cools, it essentially locks in. It It's essentially some sort of telltale tale of where was magnetic north at the time it's a history lesson cool. it's, it's it locks in in the it's basically like the earth's history book you know, exactly. it tells you tells you where north was yeah so uh this is now called paleo magnetism so but, paleo meaning god sorry oh I, I, i'll finish what you're saying because i yeah this is, pa- 
paleo paleo magnetism guys essentially in the past <laughs> where the where the magnetic north was at the time yeah um hey does the north pole the magnetic north always like stay in its its exact location <gasps> is it like super static or is it well that's a great question to- <laughs> Chris, man, you are asking the good questions today. You know what? I've heard this rumor that it kind of wanders around a little bit. Let me talk to you about apparent polar wandering. Oh my goodness. Do tell, Steve. Um, so SK Runcorn, which by the way is an awesome name, uh demonstrated that the magnetic alignment of iron rich materials in lava flows uh of different ages indicate that the poles have changed position through time. Brilliant. Okay. But uh, the plot of the location of magnetic North with respect to Europe showed that over the past 500 million years, the pole gradually, gradually wandered from approximately where Hawaii is to its present location. Say what? So, Okay. You may say, huh, wow, that's weird that the pole was like kind of like, I don't know, almost like 90 degrees down, like, and now it's back up. Like, but that's with respect to Europe. So when you look at the data, not from the respect of Europe, um, and you take it from the perspective of all around the planet, you take all the data from all around the planet, it actually is proven incorrect and that the magnetic pole actually tends to stay near the geographic north or south pole. Yeah. So the, the polar north will, it wanders around, it floats around and it basically stays within like the Arctic region. It doesn't. Yes. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't, and what we, what it doesn't do, it doesn't like, cause we know that the, the magnetic fields reverse randomly and suddenly, um, and what it doesn't do is, is the the magnetic north does not slowly migrate down to the magnetic south. Now it's when these things every once in a while it'll just boom shut off and boom turn back on. And north is at the south pole, and dogs and cats are getting along, and it's just like <laughs> utter rant, like mass hysteria. It's um, <clears throat> it is today. It's it's hauling right now, right? It, it is been, cooking. Yeah. So they had to, uh, who's the organization that does the, that comes up because it's, uh, it's very important it, to know where the magnetic. Noah? No, I was, I'm on Noah's website now. Looking okay. at it. Yeah. But it's, it's like the geodetic survey, which I think is part of Noah. And right? they do what, okay. So she's, oh, let me see if I can remember this correctly. They do a report like what's every once, every 10 years to give an updated, yes. like they update where exactly the, the magnetic North is. And yeah. recently they had to do it sooner before the 10 years was up because the magnetic North was just trucking. Right. So now it's, it's, it's over Russia right now. Right. And, and you may say like, as a listener, like who cares? Well, it's but when you're, when you're looking at a map and you're orienteering yourself based on your compass, it, depending upon how old your map is, you could be way off. Like if you have a map from the seventies, you may think like, well, the mountains have moved, but where North is has moved. So when you're trying to orient yourself, it, it, you, you know, if you have to go long distances, obviously if it's short distance, whatever, but if you have to go a long distance, 
you could you could be off by you know a hundred miles or something. So it's yeah, if it's called declination, and it's yeah. it's actually a big problem. It's it's over the it's it's over like the Arctic Circle right now, over like the north. Um, is the it Arctic still sea. over north? Is it over North America? Or no, no, no. It, it had. Did it go over to Russia? Which it's not over Russia yet. It's heading that way. It's it's basically like sort of at the top of the world right now. It's it's close okay. to the North Pole, but it's it's a little bit off of the North Pole. Top but yeah, this world, is. Ma. If you ever look on a, a map, you'll see, we talked about this a minute, a few minutes ago, where you'll see at the bottom of the map, you have two little arrows <clears throat> that are that are off. And one says MN for magnetic north, and the other says um, GN for geographic north. Because on the map, <clears throat> north is up on the map. But if, if you were to follow your compass, you would not go straight. You would go off at some angle. And the further away you are, the, the bigger the issue that is. Like in Philadelphia, for example, um, <clears throat> the, the declination, that difference is 11 degrees, which is fairly significant, like yeah. 11 and a half degrees, I think, actually. So like instead of walking straight due north, I'd be veering 11 degrees to the west. I think it's, yeah. I think it's the west. And, Jesse, and the I, further – go ahead. Oh, can I just jump in with a slight little correction that people might pounce on you with? GN does not stand for geographic north. It stands for grid north. Oh. Oh. Whoa. I've got to to email my students for the past like 10 years and tell them I was way off. I was just going to say, the, the further north you go, the more that declination increases yeah it well it depends on well yes obviously depending upon you know it obviously if you're right underneath where true north and grid north is then then you're fine but the further you get away from grid north and magnetic north so as you move west into say the u.s you get closer to zero and and as you move east, so like if you're in Maine, it's like it's like twenty degrees. Yeah, which is huge. Yeah, when I was in, uh, I remember, you know, when I was in Italy, it's zero, which is great because like you know, hey, back in my day, yeah. Italy was zero. Yeah, Italy was. Zero. But I, it makes me wonder now, like, you know, even even more recent topo maps, because. It, it's been moving. I was just looking at. Yeah, it's well, been moving the, faster than predicted. And yeah. that's the other thing. Some people are concerned that you know the the, the main concern is if this if the what I, I kind of what I talked about earlier the the poles reverse right and well we're, it's, yeah we haven't gotten there yet but we don't we don't want to be around it's it. it yeah, it's hypothesizing you don't want to be around when the poles shut off and then turn back on and they're reversed. Um, it, it's there's a lot of stuff. Uh, you know, if, if the magnetic field uh, on Earth shuts off, then we're exposed to a lot of solar junk coming off of the sun, and that's you don't want to be around for that. Um, it would it would fry all of our electromagnetics. Yeah, it, it's just, yeah, and there's. It, are, are they? Are there still hypotheses? Uh, excuse me. Are there still hypotheses that 
the revert magnetic reversals led to mass extinction events? No. 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 Okay. There have it's, been so no, many. That's all dark that's matter. True. Now. Yeah. 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 It's, yeah. It's all mini black holes. Yeah. Oh, the mini black holes. Okay. That's where we're at right now. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then also, uh, m- m- uh, Patreon friend Michelle just said birds use us, right? And uh, yes. So, uh, let's see. Birds, birds have magnetite in their brains. Is that, is that true? I've always heard that. Uh, I don't. I don't know if it's in their brain they, they or it's in their skeleton themselves. or in their beak or some sort of iron in their some something iron rich in their musculoskeletal system. Although <clears throat> but, I want to say it's it's crows, which are like super smart crow so a lot of birds they they think use you know the magnetite in their whatever to follow magnetic north but crows they found use landmarks and they've interesting they follow like rivers or streets or buildings (laughs) yeah they know like when to turn right and left at a certain building wow because they've, they've taught crows to use like tools and stuff like super smart. hey yeah. if you take this stick of a certain length and insert it into this hole you'll get food well they, like, yeah they, and they'll, they'll put like 50 sticks out there and they'll know which one is the right length to get the the food like they did that insane. there was a study where they did um they had people like be nice or mean to the crows and the crows responded poorly to the, they remembered who was nice and who was mean to the point where I think one of the participants, like several years later, like came back to campus, had forgotten that she participated in the study for 15 bucks or whatever. And like two crows, like dive bombed her. That's awesome. They've, they've crows remember. Jeez. But um, we it, 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 the idea of I, I feel like we should we should put a pin in um, the magnetic field. That's a really yeah, interesting I was just going to say. Speaking of crows, remember we can talk about the magnetic field remembering. Ooh. So yeah, I, I I you know we we can get into it. So um, we can get into apparent polar wandering later or see for spinning later. But um, Wagner man. Poor guy had this great theory, tried to prove it, died doing it, and then still got bashed for another like 20 years. You really can't win them all. No, no. So, um, yeah, that's Wagner. And we, we can get into a, a little more, um, you know, obviously we talked about the Appalachian Mountains. We've talked about plate tectonics before, but we can get into how, how the, you know, essentially he was vindicated in the end. You know, became a, a Patreon of the Geology Flannel Cast and um, has a <laughs> giant 20-foot iron cross erected to him. All that stuff. So, um, I don't think Alfred Wagner is a Patreon. but Oh, he's not? Oh, he must be using a pseudonym. I sent him some stickers, but it just got returned <laughs> to sender. I, <laughs> I nice. guess we'll have to take a trip out yeah. to Greenland. Yeah. Only one of us will come back. You want to call quits here? Or you want to get into the seafloor spreading thing? No, I, I think we should call it quits here because I'm I'm afraid that uh we we're gonna go down a rabbit hole of another hour and a half. Yeah, yeah. So but I and I think this was a good 
ending point of poor, poor, poor Alf. Yeah. Ooh, there is. Should we call him Alf? Alfie alien, a, alien life form came back as a 80 sitcom. I you remember uh, Alf, Chris. I, I remember Alf. Of course. <laughs> Do you? I, I don't know. You. Uh, we'll have to post on the, I'm going to post this on the, the geology flannel cast website under this episode. There is a heck of a YouTube video out there all about the life. Uh, it's music video about Alfred Wegner. There's a man oh, yes. out there. We've talked about, I, I forget how we've talked about this in the podcast before, but we um, definitely have. Yeah. I'll post it on the, um, this is like perfect spot to post the um, Alfred Wegner music video. Good old Alfred Wegner. Alfred Wegner. It's Alfred Wegner's song. It's, yeah, it's by a band called Con- uh, Oh the Amoeba People, <laughs> and the song's called <laughs> Continental Drift. Alfred Wegner. So, um, oh, there's a couple Alfred Wegner songs out there. Hmm. Nice. I'm only um, familiar with the Amoeba People. Well, thank you very much to our Patreon listeners. Uh, if you'd like to support the podcast, please become a Patreon. Uh, we have many different tiers all the way from um, a measly, was it $2? Two bucks. All the way up, the way up till Chris Chris will move in with you. So, um, yes, if you yeah, pay whatever rent, it takes, if you pay my rent every month, I will move in with you. There you um, go. <laughs> we have tiers starting at $2. Get some stickers out of that. Uh, and then uh, the other tiers, you get to hang out with us while we're recording the podcast episode. We got some, got a really, really awesome crew of uh, Patreon friends that uh, tune in every week for the final cast. And uh, we got a cool chats going on during the podcast and hangouts before and after and uh, get to see the Patreon extra footage that we have. If you're really into the final cast, yeah. um, we have some extra, extra stuff that's up on the Patreon page as well. Um, little shorts there so um all that stuff and if uh, another level of patreon membership if you become a topaz member you tell us the geology topic that we're going to cover on a flannel cast episode and we will cover it so um anyways if you want to help out the podcast that way that's that's available patreon.com slash geology flannel cast another way if you just want to help out the the flannel cast for a one-time thing you can buy some stickers off our website you can uh we have geology flannel cast mugs, makes your coffee taste at least 20% better. All right. <laughs> if Alfred Wegner had this coffee mug, he would have, uh, we wouldn't have had this podcast because everybody would have believed him immediately. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, we have t shirts. Thank you. Steve's got his geology flannel cast t shirt showing it off right there. You got some hoodies. Uh, all this can be found at geologyflannelcast.com. Check out the merch site. Um, that helps us out as well. Some of the fees associated with the podcast. Anyways, uh, we got all the social media stuff, Facebook, Twitter, the gram, the Insta. Um, and uh, check us out on YouTube. All the all the videos are up on YouTube of all the, the podcast episodes. So mm-hmm. that's it. That's all she wrote. Thank you, Alfred Wegner. And thank you for listening. So. We'll catch you guys next week with another action-packed episode of the Geology Flannel Cast. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Stay safe out there. And bye-bye. See ya.